I would say this. I think that we have a, a horribly misguided understanding of what, what a natural reaction to magic is. Uh, we often coerce our audiences into giving us the reaction we think is correct. And I think that there's a lot of ways to react to magic. Often we kind of are in a position where we want people to laugh. So we tell a lot of jokes or we we, we kind of we step on the magic and, and throw a punchline out to get that laugh. Or we want people to be like shocked and surprised. So I find as magicians, we usually uh, thrive off of people reacting in a way that we want. They're guys. They do magic. They are the magic guys. So Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock. (laughs) Bro, what do you think? Bro, you know what was so funny about that is the moment it happened. Right after our podcast. Yeah. Joel hit me up and he's like, bro, my clip has never been so relevant now. <laughs> of, of him getting punched for making a joke to a woman as well. So, you know, we're all about relevancy, but we just did it before Will Smith did it. So, do what you do you think? think bro? Us? Do you think Will Smith is in the right or the wrong? Who, who's the winner of that situation there? Oh, God. I mean, look, that kind of stuff, I feel like he settled off worldwide screen. So, <laughs> he probably could have yeah. done it somewhere else. You know what I mean? <laughs> But I also feel like, you know, Chris Rock obviously wanted to keep his job and just keep his cool. But I feel like he should have been like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going once this guy's removed from the audience. Like, that's how I feel. But Bro, I would have absolutely, like, just ripped into, <laughs> into it. I would have just made so many more worse jokes. I feel that's like he... Actually, um, that's true. Yeah. I feel like he was going to because there's a part where he's just like... I could, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like, heard that, like, yeah. Could, he's like, I could destroy you. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right. But at the end of the day, you know, he kept his job and kept his cool, somehow kept going. But if he anyway, done it guys, to Jason Ma. This summer, we've got a very special <clears throat> guest. Yeah, uh, you might have seen him on the magazine of Vanishing Ink last year for a Magician of the Year. You may have seen him lecturing in one of your cities. This guy has traveled the world. You may have been learning from him on his Patreon. But today we have him to pick his brain and for you guys to ask your questions live. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Shane Cobalt. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Howdy. I can't use that, right? That's Matt. Hi. Well, they're going crazy out there. (laughs) (laughs) All of them. That's it. All, yeah, all hundred of them. Shane, how you doing, man? I am good. You know, I'm good. I'm, you know, testing negative, staying positive. This is good. This is good. (laughs) Hey, and we've got a... We've got our friends in the comments at the same time. So we'll have some, uh, start asking some questions, guys, as we're chatting. But you are... What's up, dude? Yeah, so tell us, you're in Canada right now, right? I'm in Out Toronto. Of all the countries. Right. I'm a little bit north of Toronto, but yeah, I'm in I'm in Canada right now. Okay, and is that is that unusual for you to be in one place for so long? I have not been in one place like this in so many years. I, you know, when it first hit, when the pandemic hit hard, it was like March 14th, I think it was around there, and uh, I was in London, England at the time, and I was working with a producer. And we were touring a venue. I was trying to put a private, like not a private show, but sort of like a small. Uh, intimate show in one of the private members clubs in Soho. It was like, it's, it's, it sounds as pretentious as it was. Like it really was over the top. (laughs) I'm not unaware, you know? Um, And it was wild because we went from like, okay, I'm going to tour this venue. I went and had a bowl of ramen. And then the next day I was flying out and I was like, ah, it'll just be a few weeks. You know, we've had like H1N1 and the the different, you know, viruses in the past. It'll be fine. You remember Sarstock? There was like that one concert in Toronto years ago with the Rolling Stones and Justin Timberlake played and people threw bottles at him because they didn't want to see him. <laughs> ACDC came out and like rocked the house and everyone just couldn't believe it. I thought it was going to be that. We'd have like maybe a month, maybe two tops, uh, and then we'd be able to kind of come back to normal. But uh, yeah, then I jumped on a plane, flew home, and I haven't really been airborne since. So it's th- this is beyond... Um, this it's is wild, hey? Real, yeah. What, what I, and, well, and now you're lucky because in the virtual world you get to hang out in Australia with us. I know. Yeah, you know what? Lucky, that's, huh? that's one thing I will say has been incredible about the pandemic is that the number of people from around the world that just all of a sudden became local was incredible. Mm. You know, friends I hadn't seen for years or people I hadn't talked to in a long time would like throw a message out, or we could just we jumped in a Zoom call 
and some of these calls, man, would get like would get wild. Like, I remember one of the Zoom calls would be like, you'd pop into the Zoom, and someone's like, hey, you want to come hang out? Like, yeah, sure. You pop in, and then it would be like Ray Cosby, Bill Goodwin, and like just a, a, just a list of names that you're like, this is the best magic convention I've never attended. It's amazing. Have you ever right? jumped in a video call with Josh before? <laughs> well, we we got to meet in person before yeah. before all this crazy stuff. We were live, live, we, live, we, like real live. Yeah, yeah. Shane we was so committed. Times, it was great. I mean, that, good times. Yeah, I was like, you look like Jason. This will work. And yeah. uh, so, look, let's premise so that people realize how crazy it is for you to to be in one place. I think it, it's important to to explain what you were up to back then. Because what, I mean, the start of it that you explained to me was you were performing at the Magic Castle and someone particular was there. Do you want to uh, lead us into the story? Which person are we talking about? I've had a few sort of fun situations. <laughs> oh my God, okay. Castle the somewhere. castle is the place to go. So uh, uh, an agent saw you there. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you're asking kind of my business model. How do I work? Uh, so... <laughs> Actually, it went a couple of ways. You can so, you can lie. It's fine. Just lie. No, no. We, we can talk about it. Um, it's like that's my one rule with magic because I won't lie to you. Uh, even in performance, I will not lie to my audience. Uh, and that might be like, oh, you're a magician. Of course you lie. No, I don't. I may imply things. I may omit a slight truth. So, for example, if I put a card into the deck and it, it appears that it was your card, I won't say I'm going to put your card back in the middle. <laughs> lie. <laughs> well, not lie. Um, so yeah, no, no. But the whole point of this is to kind of like go into detail, I presume. So I was working the castle and I was working the parlor. And uh, after the show, I went out to the front, like the main bar area. And there was this guy there who was a tall gentleman, really, really nice guy. But he was just sort of standing beside me. And he was wearing like really ill-fitting pa- uh, pants, like trousers, which was really funny because like everything else was really put together, you know, like all the swag and stuff. But like he's just, he just wasn't dressed well. I just I couldn't quite I couldn't quite match it up. And this other random guy comes up to me a little bit drunk and he goes, hey, I finished my shows at this point. So I, I was working the parlor. Uh, I think it was late parlor. It was late parlor because Arthur Benjamin was working before me, the mathematician. He's amazing to watch. So I finished the shows. I'm hanging out there and this guy comes up to me and he goes, hey, can you make my, my girlfriend believe in magic? And like, you know, I had a couple of drinks, so I was feeling a little bit more cocky than I usually am anyways. And I was like, yeah, why not bring her over? And I figured it was a no loss proposition, right? I'm like, if it doesn't work out, I'll be fine. And if it does work out, I win. So there's, there's no way to lose here. Hey, Jerry. Uh, so, so here's what, here's what I did. So I pulled out some cards and I, I did some magic for, um, for her. And then afterwards, and it was pretty visual stuff. Like I've, I find today we've lost a lot of ma- like magic isn't really beautiful in the same way that I think it used to be. Like beauty's not the goal for most people, and I don't think that that's really been the goal for a long time. Interesting. Um, I, w- I want to dive into that later too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We can put a pin in it. But I, mm-hmm. I just, I always felt like people are not aiming for beauty in the same way. We're often like aiming for reactions, and the reactions usually come from either pulling a big laugh or really shocking someone with like a kicker, so that they audibly react to something they didn't expect to happen. And I, I mean, that's just never really been my approach. I, I don't want it to be unexpected. I want it to be expected, but so impossible. You'd be like, no, I, I know what he's going to do, but it, you cannot do that. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the approach. So I was showing her like beautiful color changes and things and sort of making cards melt. And, and I wanted that kind of like, you know, people get hung on it when they see it. So I did a bunch of magic for her. And then I go, um, so can I ask you one question? And she goes, yeah. And she's a little bit drunk too, right? So she's really into that kind of moment. And it's sort of, it's very personal because uh, someone's like right in your face at that time. I go, do you believe in magic? And she stopped for a second. She paused and she went to open her mouth. And I said, you don't have to say a word. The fact that you had to stop and think about it tells me everything I need to know. Now, of course, I was giving her a gentleman's out, right? I was giving her the out without having to admit one way or the other that she said one thing and now she's been converted to something. Didn't matter anymore. The fact that she paused lent itself so well to the moment that she got really emotional and she was like, can I have a hug? (laughs) Which is another sort of funny thing that seems to happen. Um, I'm like, yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. So I gave her a big hug and then the, her husband or her partner was like, thank you so much. And then he gave me a big hug and he stuffed a bunch of money in my pocket, which is a very weird thing to happen. One, it's weird for someone to stuff anything in your pocket. And two, I was just just sort of shocked. Well, the guy standing next to me was like a really big Hollywood producer. And I did not know that the, like the rather relatively ill-dressed guy. Uh, I'm not going to drop a name here, but he was, he was, he's doing some fun stuff. 
you've seen the movies he's been producing, I guess is the short and sweet of it. So after that, he goes, hey, uh, I'm a producer in Hollywood. And I'm thinking like, you're not casting, coaching me. Like, I don't know how the rules work. What, what's going on here? That's just, it was so bizarre. And he goes, no, no, I pro- here, let me give you my business card. He pulls out his wallet. He has no business cards. He's like, I promise you, I promise you, I'm not lying to you. I'll have my assistant call you. And I'm like, all right. So we exchanged numbers and then flash forward to like, you know, midweek and I get a call from the assistant and they're like, you know, please hold for, you know, for this person. I'm like, That's a very professional way to get in touch. And mm. um, sure enough, we, we went out for sushi. He took me to a sugar fish and we just had a great time. We chatted, brought me into the office. And then one of the other producers that he was working with, uh, I said like, hey, I was like, hey, why don't we? let's do a castle night. We'll go out to the magic castle. Please come be my guests. And one of the people that came out, it was his partner who was this like this crazy super agent, like, like booking mm. agent. So then from there, she's like, can we work together? I'm like, absolutely. And I found out that what she does, and I guess this is sort of what I more or less do nowadays is I work for private concierge services to, um, to create very specific experiences. So often on, unusually wealthy clients will will fly me around and I get to do very, very, very small events for small groups for, for too much money. And it's, yeah, it's kind of, that's kind of how I get to travel around so much. Sounds like you, that, that sounds like the dream, right? Like it is and it isn't like I, it, it's really good on paper, but I'm, the, the clients are extremely demanding at times, which is okay. Most of the time people mm. are super, super sweet, super sweet, and super kind. And it's on it. Sometimes they're weird, but like, they're funny, weird. Like I've got, I've got one guy that brings me on his first dates he just wants to have a neat friend, right? Wow. Like he just, so he hires a wingman. He's in like he's in San Francisco, and uh, there's another client out in uh, in London, England, who owns the entire like an entire block. So like his postal code is three letters because he owns the whole thing. And uh, I was teaching magic to him. That was a really funny one. And he's like, I remember seeing photos of his house, and for his daughter's birthday, he got her a second pony. And, and it was marched through the kitchen because his kitchen is large enough for a pony to march through. I'm like, this is this is wild. But he wanted to learn. You know, what he wanted to learn. He wanted to learn how to make a cigarette vanish. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to vanish a cigarette, and he wanted to impress his buddies at the pub. And I'm like, wow, is, is of course, of course, I'll teach you. And you know what? Don't don't YouTube it. Just get your concierge to hire one of the top like magicians in the U.S. To come and teach you himself. <laughs> you, know, you know what I did instead? Um, I, we went further. We did it all digitally. We did it through Zoom. And we made sure that he had a record. So he had a video of all the little touches and things that I had for it. And then I went ahead and I had um, I had every single thumb tip that we know exists sent to him. So I said, look, you're going to have every single tool available. Pick whichever one you want. Put the rest in a box and tuck it away in a drawer somewhere. Uh, just so your kids don't stumble upon them and freak out. And if they ever wear out, try them out and change them. If you ever want some advice with it or we need to kind of switch them out, let me know and we'll work on it. Yeah, and that's what yeah. Did. So it became. Um, it kind of. I think people forget that a lot of the time, the the clients that I'm working with are buying convenience. That's right. They're right. buying they're, their time, right? Like they're exactly saving their right. time. It's exactly yeah. right. They're buying convenience and they're buying quality control. So, I'm already. I've already been qualified based on you know my agent. My agent, they know that they're going to get a high quality of person in the process. And if anything ever goes wrong, I mean, there's only been I think one event that was really off and it was because they kind of booked me against my my rider um which my rider really simply is i don't do magic for children like kids don't want to see me i'm not that fun i'm mm. interesting you know i'm fascinating <laughs> sometimes i'm not terribly yes. funny but i'm situationally funny so like like you don't want me for a teenager's birthday party is this the lady the was this the lady that you told me was like oh you're a magician oh yeah show my kids something then was that that story? No, that that's one of my favorite stories in magic. That story, um, I tell that story often if I'm lecturing because people ask me fun questions like, you know, like how do you make people cry? Uh, that was an interesting mm. one. That was in Australia. I think some of my record moments of lecturing was were definitely uh, across Oz. Wow. Like longest yeah. lecture ever was like eight hours and ten Dude, minutes, which was. I wild. remember I had I was so I was so upset I had to leave. In Brisbane, I don't think Brisbane's lecture was the longest one, but I had to leave, and then I heard it still carried on for like three more hours. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, we have um, as long as you guys want to go. That's usually yeah. So Be- exactly, Benny has a question. This is this could be a lo- this this is a this is a deep question. What do you think the future of magic will be? Thanks, Benny. <sighs> you know, 
That's a great question. I think the answer is not, I, I don't think I'm going to have some remarkable prediction that's going to be, <clears throat> come true. I find that what I want the future of magic to be and what the future of magic ends up being very rarely, if ever line up, you know, it mm -hmm. just doesn't, this is not copacetic. And uh, I think the, I think the reason I'll give a couple of examples. So on my Facebook page, just like a couple of days ago, I just posted a, a simple question, you know, all you have to do is ask. That was it. All you have to do is ask. And mm -hmm. then well, I did not expect everyone to ask so many questions, but then I just, oh, weird questions. Like some questions, just how are you? Great question. You know, some questions were rather obscure, how things like that. And I was like, okay, this is, this is fun. But, um, when I, when I posted that, um, I completely lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? Future of magic. Well, Jace, like, Jace, what's your, what do you think the future of magic is? Um. <clears throat> yes. Okay, good. That's what we thought. <laughs> uh, but no, I remember it was. So in one of the questions, somebody actually asked sort of about like, what was my least favorite book in magic? Or like, what things do I dislike? And, you know, I'll, I'll mention one of them because it'll be a good example of how I was way off with what I think the future of magic should be versus what the future of magic became. So, for example, I would say right now, currently, a lot of close-up magic through a screen uh, relies, and I think as a general term, we rely way too much on black art. Uh, I think that that as, a, as an idea in magic is, is overused <laughs> and abused, and it's made mm. people... You know what, Gary? I couldn't agree with it. you more. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. What can you say these days that doesn't offend someone? Everyone's going to be upset no matter what. But, I mean, I've also tried to, like... I... I one person described me as unapologetic. They were like, like, what was the one word that's unapologetic? And I would agree with that. I don't think magic needs more people telling you how great you are. I think that magic needs more people telling you that you're not good enough and that we need to do better because there's a lot of people selling snake oil and they're happy to sell, like, tell you how, how mm. good you are. And I think that that's just not the world we should be living in. So if we went back to like, I think it was around what, 2006-ish? Mnemonica came out. And one of the questions on that little ask me anything or, you know, all you got to do is ask was someone said, like, what's your least favorite book on card magic or what's a book you hate on card magic? And I said, well, hate's a strong word. Hate's <laughs> a strong word. Yeah. I said, but, you know, I, a book I'm not terribly fond of is... Oh, no. um, one, one sec before you carry on with that thought. Gary, yeah. do, you mind, do you mind typing in um, what you mean by some bits might have to change or give me an example? Um, you do that while Mr. Cobalt here will explain his point go go ahead yeah so my my thought was just like you know with mnemonica coming out i never really understood and i still don't truly understand the full appeal of a memorized deck i understand its limitations i understand what you can do with it but i've never been attracted to the idea of excluding or removing visual sleight of hand in my work and i found that as soon as it came out it was almost like this weird magic drug where all my friends that were doing it stopped doing their slights like their wow. hands just kind of like tapered off because of course they were so they were so into it that it became its own little microcosm its own world and if it was outside of the realm of mnemonica they weren't really touching it so a lot of their sleight of hand skills were like were slowly degenerating and then everyone knew it to the point where you just yellowed a number and someone knew what the card was at that number so i went the exact opposite way so for the future of magic i mean i never would have been able to tell at that time that mnemonica was just going to take over everything and become like the de facto number one go-to. Now, the big problem for me with Mnemonica, the reason I'm not a big fan of it, is um, I find that Mnemonica is simply going to be a revelation of a sequence of cards that have been prearranged, which means that it's not impossible, it's improbable. If anything is in some sort of prearrangement, all you're really doing is showing them in such a way and explaining why the arrangement is extraordinary or incredible. Like, any card or any number is not a miracle, it's a coincidence. In fact, it's like, one in 52, one could even argue two in 52, depending from top or bottom of the deck. You can deal 25 and show 26. You can deal it's shuffled, isn't it? Isn't it technically one in 16 quintillion? <clears throat> no, there's 52 positions for any particular card. So at any given yeah, time, yeah, right. any but once, card once a deck appear. is shuffled, once a deck is Doesn't shuffled, matter. Has... the odds do not change because of the mixing procedure. The card okay. still could be. And again, from the face of the deck or the bottom of the deck, but that's not the point. The point is for Mnemonica to be a miracle, you really have to explain it. And we, even might, then, we might have we not, might have reached a disagreement point on this one, buddy. Great, <laughs> absolutely changed with the, with the change. Well, this is this is a good this is a, yeah this is a good discussion because I perform mnemonica regularly, right? But I and I don't. I actually hate mnemonicas as well. Yeah, so, but I but, disagree with you on your assertion of like. The what can I ask? What 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 about? So the thing that I love doing with it is so I will always do my normal 
material first. And then at the end, this is like my, we think I'm doing sleight of hand. Let me show you non-sleight of hand. And then I'll go into mnemonicosis, right? Where they're essentially, I'm saying I'm going to move one card to a very specific spot, put it in their hands, and then they're able to cut to their own card that they just, they just named. So is that magic or are you still saying that's a Well, here's what I'd say. It's not that it's coincidence. Consider this. Is it impossible or improbable? Impossible means it shouldn't happen according to physics. Improbable means it's very unlikely to occur based on the number of possibilities. That's the kind of the definitions I'm playing with. I would say mm -hmm, what you presented mm -hmm. is highly improbable, <clears throat> but I would not classify that as truly impossible. So then, therefore, is anything happening with cards just improbable, not impossible? No, it depends on, on what you're having. Like, if it's a physical manifestation, if a playing card were to vanish, like a rub-a-dub-dub vanish, I think most people would say that that is impossible. A card under the hand appears as though it disappears, and therefore that physical uh, of visual should not exist. It's beyond the numerical probability of it. So if I took a Fair. point at my fingertips okay. and tossed and the card just disappeared, that you would probably argue, I would argue at least, that should be impossible. The, it's the appearance of impossibility. But if my card happens to be at a number that I name, it's highly improbable, but you could, it could just happen. It could just happen. It is possible. It's just highly improbable. I know what trick not to show you on your birthday, all right? <laughs> no, and I mean, that being said, let's make sure we're on the same page, too. It's not that mnemonic so, is not a great tool. I think it's a fantastic tool. I think that the way that it's used is often as either a revelation of a sequence of cards in a prearranged order, or it's used often as an open index. Since I know where every card is, I can locate any card at any time. So I think it has factored out a lot of sleight of hand. But I got to be honest, man, people want to see you dance. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. No one comes to the yeah. show to see you do nothing. It feels weird. It's like that whole idea of here's one card on the table, name a card, turn it over, it matches. Well, we're going to go, that's a miracle. No, it isn't. It's not even close to a miracle because they don't know if it, because the what's the first thing you think of as a, if you're a layman? Yeah, but you just got lucky. If that can explain All away right, Shane, an effect, name a card. Seven of clubs. Holy sh. <laughs> Imagine. But it wasn't impossible. It could have happened. Uh, exactly. It could exactly. have happened. No, I agree. I agree. I, I agree with the whole, like, people want to see you dance. Yeah. You know, I get clients specifically, I get hired for a lot of law firms, and they hire me because I do a lot of, like, sleight of hand intensive stuff. They just want to see, like, uh, crazy stuff. They just I really appreciate the skill behind it, I guess. I'd make they one more observation that I think is really paramount here. With improbabilities, you have to talk more. <laughs> And you have to explain what you're doing. Otherwise, people don't know why this matters. With impossibilities, the presentation, you can limit the number of words, and the presentation can be completely unrelated to what you're doing in the same way. It doesn't have to be explained the action. You can tell some remarkable story. You can talk about a time in your life, or this one moment changed my life. Do you want to see that moment? And they go, yeah. And you wave your hand, and the card melts into another card. And they go, that was beautiful. But for anything that's the Monica related, not always, but generally speaking, I have to explain why I'm about to deal a bunch of cards or show you more than one card other than think of a card and you have it, you reach in your pocket, you pull it out and it's, it's, you know, a card to impossible position. But again, I mean, I always consider this outside of an open index, outside of an open index. I don't find that mnemonic fits my idea of what, what I would like magic to be. I'm not saying it's not right for other people. I'm just saying it's, it's not mine. It's not, it's not my cup of tea. There's no doubt about its success, but at a certain, the other thing is, I'd say is, this. Uh, after you see a bunch of down that line of thought, predictions are not magic then. We didn't say they're not magic. We said they're not impossible. They're improbable. That's yes, that's true. Mm, mm, fair, that's fair. So, in, so I think circling back to the future of magic, so you were saying back then that looked like what the future of magic was going to be? No, right. so back can then, I, 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 I was just saying I would never have predicted that would be <clears throat> the future of magic. So I'm just so predicting what the future is. With this line of thought of improbability, though, doesn't that become increasingly more impossible uh, each time you do it? So, for example, it's like name a card, seven of hearts, boom, yes, seven of hearts. Now think of now a name. Repetition. Think of a name in your mind, and then you think of it, and it's like, oh, you're thinking of Sarah, you know? And now the, now the statistic odds diminish so much so that it would become impossible. I'm glad right, you so said that. If you spoke to a statistician, they would say, no, that's not true. The odds do not change because of repetition. So I'll give you an example. We flip a coin a hundred times and every time it hits heads, what's the chances the next time it's going to be tails? No, no, of course. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the next time that the odds will change. I'm saying that if you put everything cumulatively together, then the odds become impossible. 
because it's like, what are the, what is the actual odds in a single sitting that you could tell someone what they're thinking of in terms of a name? You could predict the card that they were going to pick. You could tell them the number that you rolled on a dice. You could predict which hand they're holding the coin in or whatever. And you did this in in a sequential order in Mm -hmm. one sitting and you were right every single time. And they, then the, the odds of all of those things aligning in such a way that you got them all right becomes so so astronomically low that it becomes impossible, right? It never becomes impossible because none of those things are impossible. None of them are. And, let's and then at the mind. end, the a guy... you described mm-hmm. is more mentalism than it is magic. And I'm a magician, not a mentalist. I'm yeah. not going to tell you things you already know. I'm not interested in that so much. The other thing is I don't like working in the mental world of things, like with a lot of the thoughts and knowing what you're thinking or knowing your pin and stuff, because I Bro, that's I the scientist from people. Jurassic Park, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Life will find a way. But like I'm not interested in trying to convince people of things they already believe. I think people generally mm-hmm. believe to some extent that maybe psychic stuff could exist. Maybe mental powers could exist. I'm not interested. That that and that's just a personal thing. That's not a knock on anybody else for doing the work. Everyone needs to have their own style. I wear suits. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't. That's cool too. Like there's no judgment. It's just it's just for me, my personal uh, my personal rules, just the rules for my personal magic fall under particular categories. And Jason, all the stuff you suggested could be incredible in the moment. I could present it all through this hand or that hand. I don't know if they're going to walk away and go, that guy's a magician unless you told them you were a magician. They may walk away and go, that guy could read my mind or that guy could tell where everything was. And I don't want that to be the story afterwards. And that's important to me. When the audience leaves, it's not about, to me, it's not about telling stories. It's about telling stories worth retelling. I'll tell you a story, do a magic trick, and then the audience hopefully goes, oh, I saw this incredible magician, and then I just I studied psychology in university. Stories will stay with people longer. So if I can tell a story with it that's not related to the actual exposition or the, the procedure of the effect, afterwards I find my audiences will go, I saw this amazing magician, and they'll go, well, what did he do? And they'll be able to just start telling yeah. the story. That you I put told. an X on my hand. <laughs> Without me knowing, it was amazing. Right, I've got to be honest; I hate that trick. Double cross thing. Yeah, I don't like tricks. I mean, my tricks. I try to. I try to make my magic Google proof. So I think that if someone searches mm. X on hand, they're going to be see twenty magicians that do it. So immediately, like you, you can't last the car ride home once they jump in the car and start shall driving. We, shall we quickly, <clears throat> like, shall we quickly test that theory? Yeah, let's give it a go. X on. So Jason hand. is googling X on hand. X on magic. Hand. <laughs> magic. All right. So it looks like. So you got to add magic yeah, let's trick. Go, let's add yeah, magic yeah, trick. Yeah, magic trick. Okay. <laughs> there you go. There you it is. Again. Boom. We've got everything from like double. Uh, what is it? Double cross on AliExpress. So it's literally here. Yeah, theory eleven. Double cross penguin magic. Double cross everything. Yeah. There so you I go. Mean, think about that. As soon as they finish seeing you, they jump in the car, ride home, and there's four people mm. in the car. I wrote an essay on this on the Patreon. You know, the person in the front seat loves magic. They don't care what you do. It's all great. The person beside them, maybe it's their partner. They're like, ah, I'm not the biggest fan in the world. If one thing gets visible or seen, I, it's not I, whatever. I'll go because mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. like it, but I'm not interested. And then the back, so, seat, we've got the other two people. If each person is Googling, they're going to find out. And in that conversation, that's like one sentence, one sentence and your methods obliterated. So what, what kind of magic do you enjoy performing if you're, do you perform casually? Like, are you? Are you... Very much so. Mm-hmm. So what, yeah, what kind it... of things do you like to perform yourself? Like, I know you study a lot of classical magic. I think you said to me nothing past Ed Marlowe's age era <laughs> at everyone, one point. Everyone's so funny about that quote. I find people come back to me and they tell me different things. I actually used to say, <laughs> I don't know anything after Vernon died. Right, and then, right, and then right. Everyone sort of like everyone's like he doesn't know anything after he was born, or you know, everyone just like gently changes it around. But basically, anything after 1992, if it wasn't being done before 1992, I generally, and that's just a generalization. I mean, like yeah, of course, the Andy Bossy book, the Ariatology. How will you go Bossy. with answering this question? How, How can, can we trust our audience? audiences as even seeing something magical? When we ourselves are blinded by magician's mind, because I like to call it, I like to call it magician's rot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that foul stench that comes with it. Um, it's a good question. I would say this: I think that we have a, a horribly misguided understanding of what, what a natural reaction to magic is. Uh, we often coerce our audiences into giving us the reaction we think is correct, and I think that there's a lot of ways to react to magic. Often, we kind of are in a position where we want people to laugh, so we tell a lot of jokes, or we. We, we kind of, we step on the magic and, and throw a punchline out to get that laugh. Or we want people to be like shocked and surprised. So I find as magicians, we usually 
uh, thrive off of people reacting in a way that we want. And that reaction is usually a very visual one or a very audible one. Uh, whether we're coercing it with like clapping or whether we're like, oh, we'll do one more if we get a standing ovation. Like we're usually pulling for something. But I found that the most powerful stuff that I've done, and don't get me wrong, not everything I do is going to knock it out of the park. But the most powerful ones that I have, people often, if it's really close up, they want to hug. And that's a reaction I kind of know I've done something well, I think. They want to actually hang out and talk, which is always nice. Um, or if it's in more of a formalist show, if there's a group in front of me, I mean, they're left silent. I truly believe that the natural reaction to really, really wonderful, great magic is silence. It's not, I don't think they have the capacity to clap when they're really dumbfounded by something. I think you guys have both had that reaction too, when people are just like. No, never, never in my life. Ah. <laughs> it's like I'm if you saw a, an I'm alien. I'm not a very good magician, so I just. You look like Jesus. You don't have to do as much as you, <laughs> you might think. <laughs> I think a million people following you online, Jace, might say otherwise. But if you saw an alien, you're probably, you know, what? yeah, it's kind of like you would, you would be in awe, right? You would have nothing to say. You've just seen, you're seeing something you've never seen. You wouldn't be like, yeah, an alien guy, yeah. I don't so, know, man. I'd be like, what the fuck is that? And I'd maybe throw <laughs> something at it to see if it's real. Um, no, I'd be like, I'd be like, let me get this in the vlog. Give me a sec. <laughs> Look, guys, it's goddamn alien. Yo, what's up, guys? Josh Norbito here, and I just yeah. found an alien over here. So smash that like button if yeah. you haven't already. I'd be like, let's go get probed, boys. We're gonna break dance with them. Let's go. <laughs> oh, wrong one. But that still works. That's for probing. Okay, good. No, this is great. So, um, yeah. So, what magic do you like doing when you're out just casually? Are you yeah, bringing? A deck of cards is usually in my pocket. It's like I got my wallet, my cell phone, and a deck of cards, and I'm ready to go. I, I don't usually bring a lot of props and stuff with me. I try not to look like a magician that's all bulked out, ready to do a show. Um, and I usually try to push off the idea. Like I don't really, I don't, I don't try to force my magic upon people. I don't like to do mm -hmm. that. I think that, but I, I, you know, I feel like I'm aiming for a different response to my magic. Like I, I want to fascinate my audience. I want them to, to the stuff that I'm saying to them is so interesting that they like they want to know more. Um, and that came from, that actually came from, remember the Howard Stern movie, Private Parts? Oh, that, long that, time that ago. sounds enticing. Uh, right? It's Howard Stern movie. There was a part in the movie where um, Paul Giamatti is there and he's talking to, like, Stern just moved to New York and he's probably, I think, like WNBC or whatever the studio was that he was doing um, his radio show for. And he wanted to fire him so much, so much. I think he called him Pig Vomit on the air. That was his one manager that hated him. And he was like, so... So tell me, like, we did a survey. Tell me about it. And Giamatti goes, uh, and, and asks, and the guy tells back in to, to Paul Giamatti, he says, um, well, the average Howard Stern hater, he uh, listens, to, uh, sorry, the average, uh, average Howard Stern listener that likes Howard Stern listens for an hour and 25 minutes. And he's like, an hour and 25 minutes? What was the, the, the response? What was the most common response? Like, why do they listen? I said, they want to hear what he's going to say next. And he goes, okay. What about everybody else? He goes, the average Howard Stern hater listens for three hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> and Giamatti loses it. And he goes, if they hate him, why are they listening? They're all fanboys, baby. The average, the average response, they want to know what he's going to say next. Mm. So just the idea that, that like, there's so much beauty and mystery. And I think people love to hear stories. We've been trained to hear stories since we were children. When we start hearing stories, we usually stop talking and listen because we want to know what happens next what happened or what's going to happen. So I often lead in with stories and things that are like, hey, you know, there's this incredible magician in Las Vegas named Michael Skinner. He's no longer with us, but back in the 1980s, he was actually the resident magician at the Golden Nugget. And he was Steve Wynn's favorite magician. In fact, every night, Steve Wynn would walk into the hotel, he'd have his clipboard, he'd shake hands with everybody on the way in, and he'd always ask for a brand new deck of cards. He'd sit down with Michael and go, Michael, show me my trick. Do you guys wow. want to see that trick? Yeah, gonna that's going to be no? the the first question they'd ask, yeah. What was the trick, right? So mm. usually my presentation, and that's a very generic presentation if you think about it, but I remember like I had this old, old VHS tape of Michael Skinner when I was a kid, this like a random magician like Pennsylvania or Mississippi, somewhere in like the, the mid-US sent to me, and he was like, it was just like this, it's like five hours of Michael Skinner, grainy VHS. I was like 14, 15 at the time. And in it, Skinner talks about like intros and outros to magic. Like there's just a very simple, you can say certain things and do anything you want afterwards. So like one of the classic ones on there, he goes, you know, there's certain types of magic that magicians actually only perform for each other. Do you want to see, do you want to see that kind of, the, do you want to see one of those tricks? And I, I try to build in a little bit like that little moment of consent. The story has to be endearing or interesting enough that they say yes. Like, 
And of course, it primes them well mm -hmm. for the next thing. Can I? Could you hold your hand out for me? Yes. You know, every question I ask, I want the answer to be yes. Yeah. Imagine they say no. You go, oh well, here's a card trick anyway. <laughs> no. You know what? I go. I. Me neither. Like I'll, I'll just, I will agree with them and roll with it. You know, I want to mm -hmm. also be a gentleman in this situation. I don't want anyone to feel comfortable or bad about it. So. But yeah, for me, a lot of the performing stuff that I'm doing, I'll pull a deck. What do you mean? They say no. You go. Well, you're gonna fucking see it anyway. You hear me? You hear me? <laughs> and then you're like, put the put the deck of cards in a sock and beat the shit out of them with it. That's right. Submit, and then you show them. Then you get them to pick a card. Keep my magic yeah. out your mouth. And then, and that's <laughs> it. And then there's a slap. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> off we go. Um, but I, mean, <laughs> I think it's also important to recognize, like, I can't perform for magicians the way I perform for laymen. Because they're not willing to go on the journey. They, they, right. they don't want to go down that rabbit hole with me. And that's okay. But they ask to do it. And I'm like, you're not, you don't want to do it. I know you want to experience it, but you're not in a position to be able to because you're looking for different things. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain what I do to people, and, uh, for magicians at least, and then to show them unless there's laymen there and they can see it. I mean, I think the best one was actually in Australia for Anthony DeMossi's um, School of Magic. That was the eight hour and ten uh, eight hours and ten minute lecture, and it was supposed to end at midnight. And it was wow. Anthony's partner at the time was there, and it was like you know he just said, "Hey, midnight sort of a, a time limit." I said, "No problem, I'll check in at midnight." And then we hit midnight, and um, I said, "Well, guys, we've kind of we've hit that time." Um, and then I turned to his partner. I said, "Did you want to see? Did you want to see more?" And she went, "Yeah." Now, remember, his partner has just sat through eight hours or I guess it was about five hours at the time, five hours of like basically a more or less card magic lecture for her to ask for more is a wild like moment. And she's and the partner of a magician who runs a magic school. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. amazing. Yeah. And uh, we went for three more hours and, you know, partway through it, she actually she had this moment where like you can see it. I was doing a bunch of like color changes from the from the Ross Bertram books. I'm a big fan of Ross Bertram. And um, and she kind of like she sort of popped. It was a great moment when she was like. It's, it's real magic. It's real magic. And those are the moments that like, it's really hard to let you experience as magicians, but when you see someone else experience it, you get it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it looks the way that she wanted it to look. That's all she's really saying. Yeah. And that's the oxygen for us. We're like, ah. <laughs> right? <sighs> Validate me. Validate yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Well, not even that. It's like, that's why I practice so hard, you know? Like, I think we underestimate how much laymen love to see the stuff that we love to see. We, we assume they're in like a different category of, of, of spectator. And I think mm. it's the exact opposite. Like they love magic as much as we do. We just don't tell them about it the right way because we treat them like laymen and we don't think of them as magicians. But if you just slightly change the perspective on like how you, you know, show people stuff or choose material for audiences, you get this incredible, incredible response. And people are so mm. affectionate and positive and, and they feel like you've let them in. It's not an exclusive club anymore. It's like, Hey, no, you don't have to be on that side of the stage. Why don't you come sit beside me? We can talk about this. You can yeah. ask questions. I'm not going to, you know, like I'm when I'm performing for layman, my magic persona is very abrasive. And I know that it's all like we talked about earlier. It's sort of, it's kind of on purpose. You know, we don't need one more person telling us how great we are. I've never gotten better at magic because someone told me how good something was. Um, I've gotten better when my, my heroes and my idols in magic sort of just crushed me. And, and <laughs> I thank them for it. It just, you know, makes us closer and it, you know, I trust them for it. That looked good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, no, don't say that. It was crap. Practice 10 more hours, Jason. Why? That's what will make him better. That's what you're saying, right? <laughs> yeah, but look how much fun he was having. It was visual. It was playful. I think no, it, had it, was... All the, it was the recipe for a good time. Absolutely. Ross what can I say? The best. Fuck yeah. the rest. Ross Did you know that? Great line in one of his books, man, where he's like, you can't only do miracles. People get tired. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Josh, my penis was in the Guinness World Book of Records. Oh, good. Good and then the, lo the librarian told me to take it out. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, speaking of uh, Jason's penis and books, what do you think about what do you think about TikTok? This magic? better not be a coffee table book. If this is a coffee table book, I do not. No, want no. To read it. Actually, that's not true. Send me a preview book. I do want to review it. I just want to see so, how this ends. <laughs> yeah. Look, TikTok magic. It's a great what question. You, what do you think? I've, and let me pre let me let me premise this. Our buddy Jason here, as you know, has great sleight of hand. I think he's one of the top watch magicians on TikTok. Incredible. So with that in mind, 
roast him. No, no, tell us your thoughts. No roast. You know, I think every platform and medium has a place in the time. And I think that, it, you know, there's this incredible beast in magic that always needs to be fed. And I don't think that TikTok lends itself to produce the greatest magic because at a certain point, it's so consumable with content that you have to go from your A material to your B material. You just can't yes. knock out hit after hit after hit. So I think that unfortunately it does have- yeah, I'm, taking, I'm taking a break thing. from- uh... I'm taking a break from content posting at the moment because I don't want to post shitty magic. You know? Right? I think the burnout can be yeah. very high. I think that unfortunately, you know what TikTok has done for magic? It has proven to us that you cannot buy it. Because when you like, remember that like hard to watch? Mm-hmm. Oh, and do it, we? It was everybody's Instagram thing. Everyone was doing mm-hmm. it. And I guess what? Mm-hmm. People on TikTok purposely went out of their way to be like, this is bullshit. And I'm insulted by this. They went on Vanishing Inc. Or what, I, I think it was Vanishing that was selling it. Spent 40 bucks, whatever it was bought it, went boom, and then just showed you how it worked. And that was the whole content. And mm. I think it's important to recognize that TikTok has now opened the door for mockery of magic in that particular way. If people are going to mock what we do like that... But it's, it's going to get rid of the weak. It's cleansing the weak. Precisely. <laughs> it's, it's reestablished. It changed the bar. It's like, okay, guys, we can't just go buy stuff, put it online because we're just trying to feed the beast. We can't feed them mm-hmm. fast food. And I feel like magic was being fast food for, for quite a while now. We've We've definitely been pushed to the point where, like, if you're not good enough to do it, what what are you doing? Now, that being said, TikTok's a remarkable platform for fame. I think it was entirely designed to make people famous. Like, you can flip through quickly, and it's it's very small snippets, but I don't think the medium lends itself to all styles of magic. So I don't think, for me, it's a great medium or a great platform for it, but I generally try to stay offline. I, I like magic to be an in-person live experience, but... That doesn't mean the medium's not relevant or important. It just means that it takes a very special approach to, I think, maximize uh, its impact. And good on you, Jason, if you manage to master it. It's, it's, I'm not very good at those sorts of things. Like, it's way out of my wheelhouse. I don't know how I would approach it. I don't know what I would do if I was put in the situation. And for, for a lot of the stuff that I do, I, I see it. And I was like, man, I, I wish I could fit into this particular uh, groove, but I just don't think it fits me. <laughs> Of course, Brendan Tooley. Yeah, I did learn that joke last night. The dick in the book. Yeah, I saw your I saw your Insta story of you guys all hanging out. Yeah, bro, that joke was from Voltec. <laughs> that joke is Vol- so funny. Not- wow, a non magician came up with a, the good joke. Bro, Voltec's funny, man. Funny, yeah. funny. Street performers, man, they're all funny. Um, what is this? Can question you talk in about your cookies, to? bro. Yeah, I talk about your cookies. That's funny. Yeah, no, that's a very non-sexual question. It's coming right after the dick in the Guinness Book of Records. So here we are. Uh, I love to bake. I really love to bake. So uh, a couple of days ago, I what are two things you like to eat. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of the same. Le- no. Uh, so yeah, I, I love baking stuff really elaborately. But um, yeah, my mom has the thyroid issue, and uh, when it came about, the doctors were like, "You gotta, you can't really have a lot of sweets." So I, um, I asked her, I talked to her, and I was like, "What's your favorite thing in the world? Like, what's your favorite sweet?" And she said, "Chocolate chip cookies." So I went, "All right, I'm gonna find the recipe for the best chocolate chip cookies in the world." And then I just was like, "Okay, well, how do I do this?" So I just googled like crazy and found everything I could. And then um, what he's really talking about is I baked some cookies the other day and they look really good. But um, yeah, I've just been collecting all these little tips and secrets and stuff. And then every once in a while I make my mom, there's a whole bunch of cookies and bring them to her. And she's uh, she's the happiest woman on earth. So, but I go hardcore with it. Like I went and got like Godiva dark chocolate. I bought like cases of it. Like I, I wanted everything to be so decadent and so over the top that she didn't want to eat more than one. So it kind of served the purpose of the doctor being like, you can't have a lot of sweets. So I tried to overwhelm her with such decadence that it's just like, oh, I just can't have any more. It's too much. And it works. She only, she breaks them in half. I can always, I can always tell she's always eating half a cookie. But Quality that's over, over quantity. Yeah, but if you want to know more details about the cookies, I'd say look up Kenji. Kenji Lopez is like, he's a baller when it comes to stuff. There's a great book called The Food Lab. And in The Food Lab, he talks about like how to make cookies look a certain way and what makes them special and uh, I mean, for my cookies, at least I'm putting them in for like a, almost an exact 10 minutes at like middle rack on a convection bake. And the big thing that, that he pointed out to make them look like, to make them look sort of like those, those not rugged, but, um, yeah, get it. <laughs> those like the kind of like the jaggedy or scraggly cookies. He says like, you know, you make a ball of the dough and you break it in half and then you put it together again. So the, the broken edges on the outside and when it bakes, the cookie doesn't look like those Pillsbury ones that have been sliced so perfectly. It has a bit more of a, a a rustic look, let's say. Now we're getting to know the real Shane. 
That's right. All the food stuff. And then, of course, always top them with finishing salt. There you go. You want a good food tip? Mm. Finishing salt. Go get molded finishing salt. The flakes (laughs) are like this big. They're humongous. And you just put a little sprinkle on top. And then each of the cookies, I just put a little bit of that on top of them. And you hit that like salt in the middle. And it's just like life is complete. You heard it here first, folks. This is what you can expect (laughs) to learn in Shane Cobalt's Patreon. That's Uh, actually Monthly cooking videos. (laughs) <laughs> it is true? Oh, well, there you go. Hey. Not entirely. Before the world ended and the Patreon started, I was actually teaching some cooking things because people would ask me, like, what's your favorite thing to cook? And at the time, I was like, chicken wings. But here's how to do it. Like, you cook them twice. You got to cook them once, and then you cook them in butter. <clears throat> you want that butter. And then you throw sauce, and you cook them in the sauce in, like, a wok, and you'll get, like, really perfect chicken wings. But or obviously, you- the magic is overtaking the cooking. <laughs> true. Or you get a wife like Jason's who can cook everything. And you don't have That's to do a thing. That's impressive. Well done, you. <laughs> I know. You got a wife. That, that is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Someone married that fat idiot. <laughs> Roped her in, bro. As soon as she let her guard down. Literally. Yeah, like, I learned to tie that shit and I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It was a but shotgun those, wedding. Yeah. For those knows. listening, though, Shane's Patreon is in the, the description below. Oh, is it? And oh, cool. it... Yeah, is this a... Um, are you we also get 20% things? of everyone that signs up, right? Is that correct? <laughs> we should. Yeah. I didn't realize we were doing it this way. I would have said it <laughs> here, but like, all right. If you guys are part okay, of come on. Give us your yeah, Patreon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, um, dobettermagic.com. Is... Super easy. Dobettermagic.com. Dobettermagic.com. See, that's it. That's the best one. Damn. Is that for real? Yeah, if you're going to do better. Because magicians suck, Josh, don't you know? Automatically. Okay. No, no, it's not that they suck. It's just that you can always do better. It's just that they're not good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some some people can do more better than others. Yeah. So anyway, uh, a little earlier on, someone brought up a a thing about like uh, some of the yeah Bob stuff. Need to change. Um, uh, Here we. uh, Some of the jokes need to change. I think it was Geary Geary Mars. Yes. 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 Oh, here we go. This is what she was referring to. I'm talking about choice of language, touching someone, and. Props. You know, I agree with touching someone. I don't think you should touch people in your performance. I really uh depends on the touching. <laughs> I, I hate it. <laughs> and the I see videos of like <laughs> mentalists like touching people on the back, like all weird. Like it's so strange to me. I'm like, bro, just don't touch them. Contact can, is an art. You can form. just as you can like, just as easily read their mind without touching the poor woman's back. But you if, you, if your hand if your hand isn't on the back of their skull, then it no. <laughs> then they can get How away. Are they going to hear it exactly. Wait, when exactly. I perform magic, yeah, I like to hold them in a muay thai clench <clears throat> where they can't get away while I'm trying I to read their minds. I want to choke them out. I deliver Jerry, a quick, Jerry is quick knee to Jerry. the ribs. Thank you, Jerry. Oh, you're in trouble now, Jace. Language, buddy. Oh, sorry, language. About that. Yeah, I think contact with Uh, audiences and stuff and the jokes. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's important to recognize that some stuff we were doing in the past was never appropriate, but we were never shown a better way. So for me, I always try to err on the side of caution. I really don't try to touch my audience or come in contact. Like I made a controversial post. I didn't think it was controversial at the beginning of COVID and people lost their minds. I said, well, now that we can't see each other, guys, we got to stop doing double lifts and spectators' hands for reactions. (laughs) how could you do such and they were so mad at me because they thought i was crapping on the double lift but i'm like no what i was saying was we're not in person anymore we're through digital so you can't rely on the fact that it's in their hand to get that extra pump of a reaction and no one took that away no one read that out of the thing and all i was really saying was that like guys we can't we can't exploit that physical contact now you can't just do a double lift in someone's hand and snap your fingers and have them turn over and freak out because it's in their hand like we lost that so what are we going to do now if that's not your thing what do we do now see bob i think there's a big difference between like touching someone and placing things in someone's hand right like when i say touching someone like if you've ever seen like mentalists uh particularly like i would say like i don't know what's the best word for this uh, mentalists well, that aren't like like high caliber you know they think that like uh they're creating an atmosphere by like let's know, go like russian roulette for example like where they've got their hand oh my like, god yeah. yeah that's another thing as well yeah it's different to like you know if you're like oh could you hold your hand out for me i'm just gonna place this in your hand and you put like a, a card there or whatever that's a totally different thing entirely but yeah i don't know you, you see it all the time though, like why don't we just ask yeah yeah just that's ask. it 
Can I, I do that if I, if I do need to touch anyone because I do a coin routine where it's all in their hands and I go, you don't mind if I just you know touch your wrist or you know, put this in your hand or whatever. And that's because I just rather avoid the PR, the bad PR, baby. <laughs> you know what I do? I always, but my jokes I always are wildly inappropriate, man. No. <laughs> Me too. Me yeah. too. When I'm joking with people, like there's a certain point when you get close enough with your audience that like if you do cross like you know a line, so to speak, you've transcended. Like this is terrible, but that's interesting. I would say this, like if I'm doing some sort of like a walk around gig, often I'm working with other magicians, often people ask me to sit down and this is going to sound terrible, but like the help stands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you get invited to sit down with someone, it's because you've broken a certain barrier and you're no longer putting that plastic like, hi, can I get you a glass of water? Can I do something? Yeah. Like you've, you've broken that and they're like, oh, this is a real human being and they're having a real human moment with me and they're sharing real stuff that matters to them and, and as such to me. So... I find that often if I'm performing, people want to hang out and chat afterwards. And if I, I remember working a gig with a whole bunch of magicians and they just like burn through their tables. They were going like hardcore pro pro about it. And I was like, I was taking my time. People were like, sit, sit. Do you want to drink? Do you want to, do you want to join us for dinner? And I'm, I had to politely decline, but they're asking because it's not about like, like blasting them or throwing, man, hey, here you go. Now this, this, hold your hand out for me. Okay. Did you feel that? No. Like people feel that thick layer of cheese on your work. And if we can just like peel that back and actually do something that means something to them or ask them a real question. But like one of the things I love with my audience is I, I will say like, would you mind holding your hand out for me? Or would you mind helping me? You can say no, it's okay. Well, yeah. most of the time yeah. magicians don't give them the out. They're like, oh, come on guys. Give them a round of applause. What are you doing? Right. They it's just pressure. Like, no. Yeah. They just said yeah. no. It's your job to actually make them regret it with how well you treat the person that says yes. That's good. Yeah, that's mm, a good that's way a to great be. Point. I like that. Yeah. Because they could come Here's back something, and though. Did I you see this? Uh, someone mentioned to me not bringing up an African American to participate in illusion using a whip. I, I okay, don't even the, know how to respond to that sentence. I think that's all kinds of wrong <clears> to begin with. I mean, I, I think it's an unusual. Two, it's an unusual thing for sure. Two what things is yeah. using a whip. Can we just I was going to say anyway? like. Two yeah. things that come to Josh, mind. Does that Josh get a word in there, Shane? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Two things that come to mind. One, yeah, if you have an illusion that has a whip as well, good on you. And second, I think that c- someone could only tell you that if they are also African American. Like, if it's like you know someone it's like some us person saying, saying yeah. you can't do that, then that's on them. That's not actually true. You know, it's like people getting offended on behalf of other people. It's like. That's what, yeah. that, that's what comes to mind. You know, I do a, I do a whip cracking stuff <clears> in one of my street shows where I do like a straight jacket <clears> escape and whip cracking. And uh, never, ever once have I had an issue with race at all. You know, I do a thing called <clears> the <throat> Queensland's crossover and I do that standing over the top of someone. And yeah, I've had uh, people from all kinds of uh, ethnic backgrounds be the person that's being Queensland crossovered over the top of. I never had an issue. I think that like it, it comes from in here, right? It depends on where it comes from when you're doing this stuff. Like if you're like up there making jokes about, you know, being a cracker, you, you know what I mean? Because like a, a crack, you know, what obviously the term cracker is. It was it was like obviously people that own land and people and they cracked whips to keep them in line, right? That would be an entirely different thing to as opposed to like, hey, I just want to show you this cool shit that I can do. You know what I mean? Right. That's, yeah, that's the intent the is in the right yeah, place. It comes from it comes from in here. Yeah, it comes from in here. If you project negativity, of course, then absolutely probably shouldn't probably shouldn't mm. be out there with a whip, you know, bringing on African Americans. That just doesn't seem right. But if it's coming from a place of just genuine kindness and stuff, it's not the same. Brilliant. I have a black friend that makes whips. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Making. I, I I don't know how to respond to that. I mean the 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 specific mention of a, an illusion using a whip. I just don't use anything in my show that could cause harm to another person. I just, my show doesn't have an element of fear to it. Cause I'm not interested in exploring that area personally. Yeah. So I okay. just generally avoid that as a whole. I mean, the things that I would say that I, you know, I saw a young magician at the magic circle and he did a lecture and he kind of fell into the, the trap. I think a lot of magicians fall into when they're young, of course, is, you know, you pick the prettiest girl you think is, you know, the person you think the prettiest girl is in the room. And you bring them on stage to sit down with you and become your your spectator. And I I feel like and then here's the classic mistake though. She was wearing a rather short dress, not terribly short, but it was like just slightly above the knee. 
Well, there wasn't like a tablecloth. So when she came to sit up on stage now, she's elevated about three or four feet. And he just didn't realize that it's not appropriate to bring someone on stage, for example, that may be in a position where their, their costume or clothing would reveal something that would not be something they'd want to reveal. So she spent the entire time, you know, just like making it's gray like shirts. Yeah. Mm. So she couldn't react to the magic properly. She couldn't do it. And afterwards, he's like, what did you think? And I said, I never want to see you choose a spectator for that reason again. And he was like, I don't understand. I said, why did you choose her? You're an entire room of people. Why did you choose her? And I mean, you know, he kind of dodged the bullet a little bit. Like, oh, she was in the front row or she was there. She she looked like she was excited to do it. I said, no, no, but you could have chose anybody. There was clearly a bias. Someone why wearing like long her? pants or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, like, why did it, why did it have to be a girl? That's one, you know, like for me, I, I've tried to find ways to make sure that there's no bias in my selection procedures for people, which means whoever sits in that seat, that's who I'm using. If mm -hmm. the script or something or the trick <clears throat> has some sort of gender specificity, which is very rare, I'd say, okay, I'm going to start there and then move one in if it's not that person and keep going until I find someone that matches it. But that takes away everything. Or if someone with disabilities is there and I or isn't fully abled in a way that I would potentially need them to help out with something, how do I handle that? What, what's trying to that use going a, to be? an audience mm. member to increase your moment just because they are attractive, right? That's, yeah, that's I don't kind get of it. weird to me. Yeah, it's it weird to me as well. Across poorly, it's very, um, it's very Bert Wonderstoney. It's, it's very 1990s, is what it is. You know, where <laughs> yeah, like everyone yeah, in the exactly. sitcom, the rom com, was like Cameron Diaz looking or mm. Tia, Lo Tia Leone. <laughs> Dark I always, call, I always partially call it the, the no stink theory as well. I think if you're going to get someone on stage, you can't have any stink of desperation. Like you want that girl to find you attractive because you're yeah. on the stage or something. You can't have that, man. Like uh, luckily for me, I'm married. She's the most amazing woman in the world. And uh, I don't even look at other women like that. Do you know what I mean? So when it comes mm -hmm, to like, mm -hmm. when it comes to interacting with them, it's 100 million percent platonic. There's no like salacious nature or any kind of like, wanting them to be promiscuous for my crowd or something like that. No, it's just like they are as much a person as anyone else. Right. So it's like, why would I treat them, them differently vehicle, because they're wearing a skirt? You know, it doesn't make sense to me. But when they use them as a vehicle for cheap jokes, that's it. That's yeah. Like humor. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, is that, that's really your best. That's really what you've got to say to your audience. Like you were, yeah. you wrote that down. Mm. That's when it starts falling into what Jerry was talking about. And, and gut must have Mike, good point. Low hanging, yeah, low hanging fruit. fruit. Exactly yeah. right. Yuck. I think that's probably the best reaction I've heard to stuff like this. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Are you looking forward to um, going back to the castle? Is that in the plans? Yeah. You know what? I'm hoping to be, if, I mean, if it all works out, I'd love to go to the castle in like maybe two or three weeks, fly out there for a few days wow. and, and then, yeah, hang out. We should for go a bit. too, Josh. Let's go fly up there and do a couple of shows. Let's do it. We'll fly from other sure. side of the world. We can meet in the middle. <laughs> that would be. We will meet again in person. It, oh, are you kidding me? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've already had. Are we going? Like, to, are we going to MagicCon this year, Josh? Magic MagicCon is that a thing? Yeah, there was MagicCon was the convention that the Buck Twins ran back in the day. It was incredible. Oh, was, I think three or four of them, but I don't know right. if it's still going. Yeah, we'll go to the Jet. we'll go to the Vegas Magic thing. I mean, Magic Live, Magic Live. That's the one. Magic so, Live. So, Whatever. Same shit. Difference. Think. <laughs> That's sold out now. Congrats to them. Post. You know, on the other side of the pandemic, they've sold out Magic did, Live. Did you get um, tickets? Of course not. I think it's like in May. It's coming up really soon. But uh, Let's just go anyway. We'll just break in. But next year. But next year, now that I know, you know, because I don't even know how easy it is for us to travel to the US. Um, but next year, for sure. For it's like, yeah, it's pretty sure. expensive to fly to the US at the moment. Yeah. And that's and why I'm that. doing it. Let's go. Let's fucking go. That's it. But, oh, Josh, you know, I've got sad news, by the way. You know that sweet, sweet Lego globe that I built? Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. I fucking, I fucking dropped it. <laughs> oh, no. It fucking exploded everywhere. It's incredible. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. And Lego <laughs> fanatics across the globe just cried a single Bro, tear. I got to rebuild <laughs> it now. I got to sit there and rebuild it. But, yeah. It, uh, oh my it was God. so funny. It was just funny because I heard it fall and I was because I bumped it with my chair. Like I was like wheeling back there to get something and I heard it fall, but I couldn't. There it is. Oh <laughs> man, that looks amazing. Oh, it's gone. Right. It took yeah. so many, uh, it took so many pieces, <gasps> 2,600 pieces and it just exploded. <laughs> hey, at least now. Or was it like a bot set thing that you put together? Yeah, it's like a box set thing that you put together. Yeah. At least now you can do a time lapse of putting it back together. Um, Six and a half hour time lapse. Jeez. Yeah, stop motion. I want to see stop motion. I just want to slowly become. <laughs> you know, a I thought about making a YouTube Ooh, video about cool. it. I started filming it when I was doing uh, when I was making it, and then I was like, "Nah, screw this. I can't be bothered. It's just too much. 
too much effort to try and film and enjoy the process of making the, mm. I just wanted to enjoy the process. So what's your biggest like Lego build piece that you've got? No, that was, yeah, that was my first oh, that one. Was big one. Yeah. I had never done it before. So did you love this? Yeah. I, I just enjoy the therapeutic nature of, um, you know, puzzles and repetitive nature and all, you know, just, mm. yeah, it's good. So what, shit. <clears throat> with the last few minutes, Shane, what, uh, any, anything you want to say to the, the magic friends watching? Do better magic. <laughs> that's it in a nutshell. Just do better magic. And that's not a knock on the stuff you're doing. It's more of a, a, a sort of a little poke to the psyche. Just, you know, if you think you're doing the best magic you can do, you are. And if you think you can do better magic, you can. That's it. It's, it always falls back to that. Do better magic. And the other one I'd say is just be a normal human being. Well, so if at any point anyone was offended by this podcast, I'd like to take this time to apologize for the inconvenience of me not giving a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, offense is taken, not given. Offense yeah. is taken. That's it. That's exactly it, right? <laughs> wow, that's so true. Wow. <laughs> that's a good one to end on. Yeah, offense is taken. Thank you. Just leave the review on Shane's uh, Patreon. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. Anything you're offended about, yeah, shoot me a message. I'm happy to chat about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Shane, thank you again for coming on, my friend. Uh, you can yeah, see- a great chat. I really enjoyed chatting with you, man. Yeah, it's a shame Doug wasn't here as well with all yeah, his history. I think he would have kick out of this too. I think yeah. we'll get you back on at some point though, probably soon, you know, in the next month. All you got to do is ask. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to uh, have Doug chat with you too because he's, you know, he's got very good uh, opinions of magic. Douglas yeah. Conn, if you've heard of him before. I very much have. Yeah, I'm a yeah. fan. Doug's awesome. Yeah, Doug's he, he, he would love TikTok to speak too, with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a part of the he's podcast. That, you can see him in the little drawing in the corner there. <laughs> yeah. Douglas, yeah. Douglas the J-Con. He's in the so middle of the like your US representative? That yeah. is right, yeah. yeah. That's a, he's yeah. a PR guy, a US PR <laughs> yeah. guy. <laughs> so, guys, do better magic. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. It's time for us to disappear now. Disappear now. But we'll see you again on the next episode of The Magic Guys. 